Hey, this is Robbie Baseball from the Dingers Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 260, This is the End Movie Review. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, we took a couple of weeks off, but we're back, and we're going to do something a little different this time around. Uh, Usually, I'm the Gen X guy, and Derek, you inform me about all the, the newer pop culture. So this week, I decided I wanted to flip the script a little bit. I'm going to suggest a, a newer movie to watch and review, and we're going to review This Is The End. Now realize this this movie is is ten years old, but I mean you know for me celebrating that's, that's new. You know, celebrating a milestone. There you go. Ten years. So that, that keeps with our uh, with uh, our theme for this year. So it's all good. But before we get to the movie review, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, Derek? Hey, Chris. Well, um, I was uh, I had a chance to take a week off work. I was at mm-hmm. the uh, Origins Game Fair uh, board game convention in Columbus, Ohio, for the last week. It was a whole lot of fun. And while I was away, I had a chance to watch a few movies in the evening and during our uh, car trips back and forth. And uh, so might be a little longer than usual. Don't buzz me after five minutes. I'll try and be quick. Okay. All right. First off, I want to revisit something from the 1980s. Uh, Our good friend Greg Martin was on our show a little while ago. And he mentioned that he had recently watched action jackson well it was on again and i had a chance to watch it last week <laughs> with carl weathers oh and vanity God, yeah. right yes yes <laughs> and uh, craig t nelson coach is the villain yeah this movie had it was a by the numbers 80s action movie it it was fun but it was clearly bad and so uh yeah no it it it, it absolutely met my expectations which were not already that very high but uh no it was it, <laughs> it was didn't fun. surpass them no, no. And I can understand why they didn't do any sequels, but yeah. you could tell if this had come out like a couple of years earlier and been maybe a little taken itself a little more seriously, it might have. But uh, no, I think it came out in like 88 or 89. It was just right at the tail end of that uh, big 80s muscle action guy thing. So Carl Weathers just a little too far behind the curve on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had a chance to watch three, pardon me, four brand new movies. Uh, so I'll start with the uh, the oldest. That's movies. why we have you here, my That's friend. That's why I'm here. Yeah. So uh, these I watched all of these on the streamers. So the oldest one is actually from last year. It stars Tom Hanks. It's called A Man Called Otto. And this is actually an American remake retelling of, I want to say, a Swedish movie. I may be wrong. It's one of the Scandinavian, Swedish or Finnish or Dutch, one of the one of those countries. They this this was originally a book that was turned into a movie, and then it was con- then they did another remake in English for the American audience. But it's almost a shot for shot, word for word uh, re- remaking of it. And if you ever saw the movie As Good as It Gets with uh, Jack Nicholson in the late '90s, this is basically that kind of story. Uh, Tom Hanks plays Otto. He's like this old curmudgeon. I don't like people and I'm I'm upset with the world. And then, of course, neighbors move into his neighborhood across the street from him. And it's this young family with these young kids and they need help. And of course, he's like, I don't like people. I'm not helping. And then, you know, it sounds like me. Yeah. And then ultimately he ends up, you know, like the dad is kind of useless. And so he's like, oh, here, I'll give you a ladder and the tools you need to fix this thing. And then the mom's like, can you babysit my kids for a half an hour? I don't like kids. And then, of course, he starts to like really like the kids and and all the things you would think. Again, it reminded me of as good as it gets, almost beat for beat. And of course, by the end, you know, his his ice cold heart is melted and he opens up his life for these people. And but I got to admit, at the beginning of the movie, I kind of related to him because he was like really getting upset with a lot of young people who were just being dumb and not being held accountable and not doing what they were supposed to do. Like there's a scene at the beginning where he goes to the hardware store and he needs five feet of rope. 
So he goes and he buys five feet of rope and he brings to the cashier. The guy's like, oh, this is however much. He goes, but that's more. You're charging me for too much. He goes, well, we sell it by the yard and you've got just under two yards. So I got charged for two yards. He goes, but I didn't buy two yards, about five feet. And the guy's like, yeah, but it's sold by the yard. He goes, well, how much is it per yard? He goes, it's 99 cents. He goes, okay, well, a yard is three feet. 99 is divisible by three. That's 33 cents a foot. Just charge me 33 cents times five and we'll call it a day. And the guy's looking at him like he's got a third arm growing out of his head like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I can really relate to this guy. Uh, but of course, you're not supposed to relate to him. He's supposed to be there. Ah, I'm the old curmudgeon who hates people. So uh, in any case, it was an okay movie. Tom Hanks is a good performer. You know you're getting usually a pretty solid effort out of him. Um, it was good, not great. I'm glad I didn't have to pay anything for it, but uh, I am also glad that I had a chance to see it. Uh, next one I saw was, I want to say it was on Amazon. Pretty sure it was on Amazon. It's called Flamin' Hot. It's about the guy who invented the Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And it's loosely based on a true story. And you think, really? They turned this into a movie? But it was actually this, pretty good. It was yeah, pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and it was pretty entertaining. Running now, out of ideas. You'd think, but it was, I, I, and I thought that too. I thought this is going to be the dumbest movie I've ever seen. But it was pretty good. I, again, not great, but it was pretty good. It was worth the 90 minutes or whatever it was to that was in the movie. Now, I've read some stuff since then that apparently they took some pretty serious liberties with the truth because they talk about how it's based on a true story. And the guy who wrote the, the it's actually based on a book who, uh, you know, based on his life. And they took a lot of liberties with the movie and apparently he's taken a lot of crap because uh, people are like, that's not what really happened. He's like, have you ever made a TV show or a movie? Like, So, so what you're saying TV. is the guy that invented the hot Cheetos didn't have all that exciting of a life. Well, I'm sure they took some. They had to embellish it a little bit. Yeah, a yeah. little bit, a little yeah. bit. But, you know, it, it wasn't. I thought it was just going to be the dumbest thing ever. And it wasn't. It was actually pretty entertaining. Okay. So. All right. And then I saw two absolutely a plus movies in the last two or three days here so when we were in the u.s we got access to netflix and amazon u.s which so we had access to oh they get way more out. titles down there oh way more titles they get like more 10 titles. times like like i think in canada we have like 1500 titles and in the u.s netflix has like fifteen thousand. yeah like something crazy. like that oh. so one of the movies that i saw so it's based on a book the book is called spoiler alert the hero dies at the end and the movie is just called Spoiler Alert. And it's a romantic comedy. Well, not even so much comedy. It's a, a romance story about uh, these two guys. It's based on a real life true events. Uh, this one actually is based on real life and does follow it quite closely. Uh, it stars um, Jim Parsons, who plays Sheldon Cooper on Big Bang Theory. And it's uh, a gay couple that that meet at the beginning. and But also you're told right at the beginning that one of the two of them gets ill and dies. Like that's hence the title. Spoiler Alert, the hero dies. Uh, but then it's the story of how they met and how they fell in love and their life together and the trials and tribulations and the ups and downs. And then, of course, towards the end, you have the 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 illness and then ultimately the death of the one character. And um, the mom in this is played by Sally Fields, who isn't in it very much. But I mean, she's great in it. I watched this movie. It was fantastic. The, the last 20 to 30 minutes, I'm bawling my eyes out watching this thing. It was so sad. If if you like sad movies, this movie was fantastic. It was so good. Uh, it's not available here in Canada yet, but uh, definitely worth checking out. It's called Spoiler Alert. And the last movie that I saw today, I finished watching it today at lunchtime, Creed 3. With, uh, so this is the, the extension of the Rocky franchise. So they've done Creed 1, Creed 2, this is Creed 3. And again... I loved Creed 2 when it came out. I, I, I rewatched 1 and 2 when Part 2 came out, and then I, I didn't have time to rewatch 1 and 2, but I wanted to watch Part 3. I just saw it drop this week. It's fantastic. It's every bit as good as the first two. If you watch Creed 1, you liked it. You watch Creed 2 and you like it. Watch this third one. You're going to love it. Uh, the guy who's the uh, the villain in this one is the same guy who was the villain in the Ant-Man movie. I can't think of his name. Majors, I think his name. Jonathan Majors. And, oh, my God, if you want to see two guys look like sculpted statues in the ring like these guys have to be absolutely perfect specimens on the screen i like i don't know if they use cgi to make them look even better than they look but man oh man th these boxers just were so jacked and so cut in this movie and, like me uh, 
Yeah, uh, well, yeah, sure, sure. I, I think you're misunderstanding. I do not think that word means what you think it means, but uh, but it was really good. Anyway, I misinterpreted jacked apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, Creed three A plus. It was really good. If you even moderately enjoyed the last one, you're gonna love this one. It was great. So so those were two big thumbs up. And then I had a chance, believe it or not, to watch a documentary series. For forty days and forty nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. Documentaries. All right, what was it? All right, so it's a an eight-part Netflix documentary series called Tour de France Unchained. So Netflix has been doing a really good job of taking we'll call them obscure sports, obscure from an American North American point of view, sports that are not baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. And they have been doing these documentaries where they follow the athletes around for a year and then they smush them all together at the end and they give you a documentary series. So they've been doing the ones on auto racing. They've done the one on golf came out a few months back. And uh, I think they even did one on tennis, if I remember correctly. And then this one is about cycling, like the Tour de France cycling. And again, as some uh, like I, I ride a bike every single day, but I don't know jack squat about professional cycling or the Tour de France other than it happens in France. So watching this thing was completely new to me and it was fantastic. It was every bit as good as any of these other series they've been putting out. Um, I was, wasn't sure how interested I'd be considering I, I didn't know anybody. Like at least when you watch the golf one, you sort of recognize the big names. I didn't know anybody in this. And most of the people in this, in this series, English is not their first language. So it is all subtitled the whole, even when they speak English, they subtitle it because there's hardly any English. So that was a little bit of a barrier to entry, but once I got past that, it's fantastic. So good, and and you just, it gives you a whole level of appreciation for the athleticism that's required to do this kind of thing. But you may not think that this is something you're gonna enjoy. The first episode's like 40 minutes. As long as the subtitles aren't gonna scare you away, give it a shot. It was really good. It's eight episodes. It's called Tour de France Unchained. And uh, you'll never look at cycling the same way again in the best possible way. So I had, I had a lot of time to watch a lot of stuff. Let me tell you, weeks we were you sure did. You, yeah. uh, you watched all you? kinds of stuff. Let me guess, you watched Happy Days, The Love, uh, you know, uh, some game shows. This part of the show, brevity is a little bit more of my my kind okay. of cup of tea. So one of the reasons we had to take some time off, Derek, was was due to the fact that I celebrated my wedding anniversary. Oh, yes, that's yeah. right. Congratulations. That's right. How many Thank years you. has it been? 15 years. Wow, 15 years. You know, if she had murdered you instead of married you, she'd probably be out of jail by now. I know. Hard to believe she's put up with me for that long. I can't believe it. But anyway, Derek, recently you messaged me to tell me that the fish that saved Pittsburgh was playing on Turner Classic Movies. You're yep. like, hey, this is on T TCM. You got to record this. So I did. So I set my PVR. Guess what I did on my anniversary? Oh, my God. Don't tell me you watched that and, and got a divorce. Let's just say I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through another 15 years. So. <laughs> so anyway, that's what we did. We watched that. Well, I, I also. Here's your dad joke of the week. All right. I'm going to tell a dad joke now because we're now we're All back. Right, okay. All right. I thought since we were reviewing This is the End this week that it would be, in a, you know, it would be appropriate if I did like an end of the world dad joke. Okay. Okay. So, Derek, when the end of the world comes, why is it good to be in Kentucky? I have no idea. Something to do with fried chicken. I have no idea. Because they're always 20 years behind everything. Just completely alienated our Kentucky audience. I was going to say, you're lucky that audience is 20 years behind us. <laughs> always appreciated about you is your sense of humor we got a bleeder 36 does that include me because if you've no seen one you've seen them all uh, you know man i gotta take one more turn around the horn here can fart jokes fine be in the why hey try to just on your way through the parking <laughs> join the club what day did the lord create spinal tap and why couldn't he rest on that day too all right so no big surprise the way things work around here is pretty simple. I only like old stuff, and you try to get me to, to see all the good in the more recent pop culture. But this week, I wanted to flip the script a little bit, so I suggested that we review This Is The End. It's from 2013, 
So it's, it's about 25 years past my comfort zone, Derek. But I wanted to, to start, I want to start with you on this. Like, had you ever seen this movie prior to this week? And if so, like, what do you think of it just in general? So I remember seeing this in the theater when it came out. Okay. Uh, I, I liked most of the performers that were in the main cast. I knew that it had a lot of cameos from other performers and, the, and I knew the gimmick that everyone played themselves. And that being said, we went to the theater. I saw it. I remember thinking eh, it was just okay. Uh, I think in part because I didn't really know, I wasn't as familiar with a lot of the work of a lot of the people in this movie. And I think coming back to it now, 10 years later, I, I certainly had a better appreciation for it the second time around. I recognized a lot more of the, we'll call them secondary or tertiary characters that are like at that big party at the beginning. Whereas when I watched the first time, I'm like, I think these are famous people, but I don't know who they are and I don't know why they're famous. Whereas now many of them have gone on to maybe not become super famous, but have become famous enough that you at least recognize them and know their names. So I came into this sort of lukewarm. I had seen it before. I didn't really have a strong memory of it. I knew I just sort of liked it, thought it was okay. I remember uh, the one thing I did remember was the very, very end. That was sort of one of the only things I actually had a very clear memory of. But it was the the journey getting there that was, I'm not going to say brand new, but was a lot of new territory for me. I got a lot more out of it this time around just because it felt very new to me. Okay, I need to set this up a little bit. I used to have a subscription to the magazine Entertainment Weekly. And, and by the way, I have a question. Are magazines even a thing anymore? Do they even exist? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. But I also had an EW subscription for like a decade. Yeah, like it was good. Like I say, now that I've got kids, I, I can't even keep up on this stuff. I don't even know if magazines are a thing. But I used to have a subscription to Entertainment Weekly. It was the best magazine when it came to pop culture. It, it wasn't the best magazine overall. <laughs> the, those were on the top rack at the back, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But well, they had the best articles. Of course. But EW was amazing. It always had these great articles about movies and music and TV shows. But the one thing that I always found when it came to that magazine, their movie reviews always seemed to mesh with my tastes. Mm -hmm. Like whenever they liked a movie, I did too. And I found that whenever they like pan a movie, I agreed with them. So overall, I, I really trusted, you know, EW's opinion whenever I was, you know, thinking about going to see a movie at the theater. So they used to give a review of a movie and then they'd give it a letter grade, anything yep. from an A down to like an F. So I remember back in 2013, I was, I was reading the magazine and it had a review for this movie I'd never even heard of called This Is The End. And it gave the movie an A. So it kind of piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, what's this? So I was reading it and, and the review basically said that the movie was was really good, you know, w without any spoilers. Sorry, like they were always really good at avoiding that, I found. Yeah, I found that too. And so the only reason I ever saw this movie was because of Entertainment Weekly. So um, I have a question. So, Derek, do, do you ever have or even now, do you continue to have any sort of go to reviews that you always trust? Like, like where you're no. somewhere that shares your taste in movies? Because EW no, was always all. mine, you know? No, I found that, um, in, in my opinion, over the last five, probably five to ten years, uh, the internet can't help but spoil everything about a movie in any review it does. Yeah. And I, I don't want anything to do with that. I I like to judge whether or not I'm going to go to the movie based on as li little information as possible, especially with so many things being franchise and IP and adaptations and remakes and things of that nature. I think those ones I usually have a pretty good sense for. Like if it's a comic book movie, I'm probably going to see it either way. So I don't need a trailer and I don't care what the review is. They tend to not skew the way I want them to anyway. For things like dramas or um, like a lot of the sort of quote Oscar movies, like the big awards fair, again, I can usually get a pretty good sense from just, you know, 10 seconds of the trailer going, oh, that's what that's about. Yeah, that sounds like that's up my alley. And and I just sort of rely on my own tastes these days. And for the most part, I find I'm usually mm. pretty satisfied. It's pretty rare that I think I'm going to like a movie, go in and just hate it. It's I, and I think going to the film festivals for all those years, it's sort of trained me for that. It's like I know mm -hmm. what to sort of look for and what to not look for. And so many movies are not very subtle about sort of where it's going. That's why I don't like the trailers. Like I can watch a trailer for a movie I know nothing about and I 
I'll bet you 90% of the time I can predict that the beats of that movie, no problem, right up into the end. Whereas a lot of other people are just going to go, oh, I had no idea. It's like, well, then you are paying attention because it's in there. Well, based on what I read in Entertainment Weekly, I took my wife to go see this movie back when it came out in theaters. Oh, she would have hated it. I really liked it um, for a lot of reasons I'm sure we'll get into tonight. She did too. She actually kind of enjoyed it. Wow, I think, okay. you know, for the most part. So, okay, so the film was released in, in American theaters June 13th, 2013. It was made on a budget of, it was about $35 million. It grossed $126 million worldwide. Domestically, it finished with $101 million. So that was good for 31st place at the box office that year. It finished just ahead of Jackass, Bad Grandpa, and Oof. just behind Pacific Rim. Not exactly okay. stellar company. No, not at all. But it did make money and quite a bit of money. And it was a critical success as well. I'm just looking at the top 10 movies from 2013. Good God. Just a mess. What are they? Run, run down the list. How many are sequels? All of them? All, all of them pretty much. So Iron Man 3 was the number one film at the box office that year. Okay. Inexplicably made $410 million. Crazy. Wow. Uh, number two was The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Number three was Despicable Me 2, followed up by The Man of Steel at number four, Monsters University at number five. Then there was Frozen, Gravity, Fast and Furious 6, Oz the Great and Powerful. I guess it's a remake of The Wizard of Oz. And number 10, rounding out the top 10, Star Trek Into Darkness. So only two of those movies movies. were not sequels. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a single one of them. 2013 was a bad year for films, don't you think? Um, God, that's awful. Well, I mean, again, I, I when everything is sequels and IP, if it's mm-hmm. not a franchise you enjoy, then it's it's a tough it's a tough one to break into. But then oh. you get critical successes like Gravity, which you, was in your top ten. I mean, I didn't really care for it, but uh, it, it won the the director won the Oscar, and I mean, it got a ton of critical praise. And I mean, Sandra Bullock was amazing in that thing. So. Well, you know me, I'm always going on and on about how Hollywood never does anything original. Yeah. You know, like the sequels and reboots and remakes and blah, 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 all that crap. But I felt that this movie, This Is the End, was original. It I think that's was, why yeah. I like it so much. Like, because it's different. Yeah. It's unique. And, and the thing is, it's a comedy. You know, it's a comedy horror, I guess. But I, I still think the comedy is a dying art form in Hollywood. I could probably count on one hand. How many good comedies have been made in the last 30 years? Like, you've got to agree, comedies are not the same as they used to be, right? Well, I think there's so... Comedy used to rely on making fun of disenfranchised groups, and now people are more aware and sensitive of it, and you're not going to go for the cheap laugh and just make fun of someone for being different. So comedy has become harder. Again, I'm not a comedian, but I have to think comedy has become harder in today's day and age, and I think it's just people don't want to do the work. In the last 30 years, I'd say, like, just a few comedies stand out. There was Austin Powers. That was 97, right? I was going to say, that was, so like, that's, almost 30 that's, years ago. So that's, that's in the last 30 years. Team America World Police, I'd put in there. South Park movie. That was good. The Hangover. Hangover was really good, the first one. Yeah. I like Private Parts. That was from 97, too. Again, Super there was bad. a lot of movies from the 90s, but and Superbad was really good. The 40-year-old virgin, I'd probably put in there. That's probably about yeah. it. Oh, maybe Borat, too, the first one. Okay, sure, I'll give you that. So, But there's not a whole lot. Like That's kind of like my list of comedies, you know, the last 30 years that I think are good. And, and another thing is, it's no secret that I generally hate dystopian, post-apocalyptic movies. But I will say this. As far as that genre of film go, I think this movie is one of the best. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, I wouldn't say it's one of the best, but I, it's certainly I it good. I think it, like when I think of like the, the this kind of film, there's like Mad Max, the original, Terminator, Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Comet was great, and this is the end. It makes it actually makes my list of sort of post apocalyptic movies. I thought it was good. Yeah, no, I don't disagree that it was good, but I wouldn't, I would, it wouldn't make my top 10, not even for a long shot. Oh, it would for me. Uh, So it was written and directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It was based on their short film, Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse. That came out in 2007. It's about eight minutes long. You could find it on YouTube. It's basically just. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it. It's, it's, it's not very good. It's basically just Jay Baruchel and Seth Rogen trapped in this apartment 
after the apocalypse. Okay. It's it kind of sucks. But um but this movie, this is the end is it's written and directed by Rogan and Goldberg. But it feels like it's got Judd Apatow's fingerprints all over it. Don't you oh, think? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in part because so many of these guys have worked with Apatow before, whether or not he was literally involved or whether they were just, you know, you get that vibe. You work with someone long enough, you get a sense of what how what their style is like. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's got the improvised dialogue. It's got the crude humor, the profanity, and it's funny, too. It It is. It it feels like an Apatow movie. Yeah. And, And like you said, like these guys, Seth Rogen and James Franco and. Jason Segel and Jonah Hill, they all worked with Apatow. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe he just rubbed off on them. I don't know. But uh, Seth Rogen, because he did Freaks and Geeks, Superbad, and Knocked Up with Apatow, I think, right? And the 40-Year-Old Virgin, he was in that. Yeah, that's true. So let's talk a little bit about the cast. So Seth Rogen, I'll be honest, coming into this, I'm not a huge Seth Rogen fan, even though he's Canadian. You know, I, I just, I feel like I don't think he's all that talented. He just kind of plays this kind of stoner guy and stuff or like this disaffected guy like he did in, in Freaks and Geeks and stuff. I don't know. I just I don't know. That's my take on him. I like him. I, I again, I don't like everything he's done, but I, I tend to enjoy the movies he's been in. Um, and he does uh, he does some voice work on like cartoons and things like that as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no issue with him. So Jay Baruchel, he's Canadian, so that's good. We like that. He's from Ottawa. He's probably best known for Million Dollar Baby. I remember watching him as a kid on Popular Mechanics for Kids. Yep, I remember TV. that. Remember he and did that he, with um, Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah, and he yeah. was also, uh, he I think he wrote and directed or at least was on the creative side of the, the movie Goon, which had yes. uh, the guy who played uh, Stifler from American Pie. He yep. was like a hockey goon. Yeah, and one uh, of my good buddies was in that movie um, actually as well, so... Really yeah, small, so, smaller part, but uh, yeah. Lee, you know, Liam Card is his name. Okay. So yeah, he was an actor. He's in yeah, he was in that. Um, Michael Sarah, I want to mention as well, another Canadian. He did Scott Pilgrim, Juno. He was really good in Juno and Arrested Development. He was yeah. That's that's where I think most people recognize him yeah. from his Arrested Development TV show. And he was he was again he wasn't in this movie very much, but man, did he have he some pretty funny scenes? Oh, yeah, God. like he stole the show. We'll, we'll get to his scenes in a minute, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, Danny McBride was in a show called Eastbound and Down, I think it was. Yep. I wasn't familiar with him though. Coming into this, did, did you ever watch Eastbound and Down? Uh, I didn't, but I knew that he was in the Pineapple Express, which mm. I didn't really care for, and. Um, uh, he, of all the performers in this movie, he's the one I like the least. But I think that's partly because the um, the kind of like the kind of character he plays, whether or not he is that kind of person. I think it's sort of deliberate, like he he grinds on you intentionally, um, and that just it doesn't work for me. But I know more recently he's been involved with a uh, TV series called The Righteous Gemstones. I think it's gone into its third or fourth season now, and it's been getting a lot of critical acclaim. He's I'm just checking it out here. He was he created and wrote this. He created the series and has written some of the episodes, and and it's getting a lot of uh, a lot of love. So, but he, I, I personally, I'm not a fan of his work. And Jonah Hill, we can round things up with him. I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. I've always felt Jonah Hill was. He said, I feel like he's a little bit overrated. I don't know, like he gets all this love from the Academy, and he's nominated for Academy Awards, and and he's he's won an Academy Award. Um, I don't, I don't think he has. Oh, maybe he didn't win it, but uh, but he was nominated for like Wolf of Wall Street and like uh, and Moneyball. Moneyball. I I just don't get it. I just I don't know. I think he's a little bit overrated. Uh, I think his best performance was in Superbad because it just felt he was so great. Superbad improvised, yeah. like it was just off the cuff. It was so good. But I, I liked know. him in Moneyball. I liked. Oh, I mean, I have. We did Moneyball on this podcast. It's one of my favorites. I yeah. love it. It's anytime it's on, I watch it. I, I love his character in that. Um, yeah, he, he was he's he good, was but it's of, not it's not Oscar worthy. No, I, I would agree. And uh, the other two that I, that I think need to at least get a little acknowledgement. Uh, James Franco, obviously, that he would have been at the time. He was probably the biggest name in this movie. Probably, but since then, yeah. he's had some uh, some troubles, uh, rightly or wrongly, with uh, the way he's been. He's treated women. I know there's been some accusations. So it's like, well, dude, if, if that's what you are, then that's what you are like. Bye bye. Um, but Craig Robinson, who is in this, who at the time I didn't really know, um, but since then have, be, have become a big fan of his work. And uh, so rewatching this and seeing his involvement in it 
Um, you know, I found that was definitely uh, part of the the appeal for me. You know him pretty uh, much from The Office, I think. Other which I never watched, so that's yeah. why I didn't know him. But I, I he's done. Um, he was movies, in that stuff. movie you made me watch the the hot. He was in the hot tub. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, and he was on um, on Brooklyn Nine Nine. He had a recurring character that appeared once a season, every season through their mm. through their run. It was a lot of fun, and and he did. He's done some movies with Kevin Smith, so I'm like, I've seen him in other things since then, and uh, I just I really like his stuff. So coming back to this one, when I saw it the first time, I didn't really know who he was, but like coming back to it this week and be like, oh hey look, he, I totally forgot he was in this. So that to me was uh, definitely a plus. Uh, you and I are both Canadians, so we should maybe mention the Canadian content here. Because there's a lot of it. So Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, both from Vancouver. Uh, as I mentioned, Jay Baruchel, he's from Ottawa. Um, Michael Sarah is Canadian, too. He's from Brampton. So it's got a big Canadian contingent, you know, mm-hmm. to this film. Uh, Canadians make the best comedies. We always did. I always thought SCTV was way funnier than SNL. Uh, Canadian actors always did some of the best comedy work to me. Like Jim Carrey and Dan Aykroyd and... Norm Macdonald and Michael J. Fox. I think the list just goes on and on. So it doesn't surprise me that there's finally a funny comedy being made in Hollywood and Canadians are part of it, right? Sure. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, Canadians are good. Uh, I like how this film takes place in the real world, quote unquote, and the actors play themselves or at least sort of, you know, caricatures of themselves. Yeah, yeah. But it just adds a different element to the movie. And, And I also think it allows the film to become kind of a commentary because I think to me, this movie is a commentary on a couple things. Number one, people in Hollywood are shallow, you know, and oh, it reflects that, immensely. right? We all know that. Yeah. And the thing is, it's all about your level of fame. Like Jonah Hill is this Oscar nominated actor. Jay Baruchel is like a nobody. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I like how it plays up the fact that actors are soft. I think it's even Craig Robinson is the one that brings it up. He's Mm -hmm. like, we're not action heroes. We just act this way. And then the other thing is, too, they do a lot of drugs and they swear a lot. (laughs) You know, like I think you said, they're real lives. So um, I I liked I went to watch the movie. I think it was on Netflix. And the warning comes up when I go to start. It says warning crude and sexual content throughout. Yeah, (laughs) that's the warning. Quite into this. Pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. So, okay. So the movie, Rogan picks up Jay Baruchel at LAX. And the first thing that he, that Baruchel wants to do is go to Carl's Jr. Because they don't have those in Canada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. And I love how Seth Rogan, he doesn't want to go there to Carl's Jr. Because he, he's like, I'm on a cleanse. And Baruchel's like, oh, so you don't, you don't drink or you don't smoke weed? And Seth Rogen's like, I'm on a cleanse. I'm not psychotic. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. <laughs> that, that made me laugh because again, it's like playing up his his personality. This, and, and, you know, we mentioned um, Judd Apatow and kind of his style is in there. This whole thing just feels like it's improvised. Everything. I'm sure there was a script that they were working from, and I read somewhere that someone did an interview and said like 85 percent of it is improvised. It's it's got to be like what it just feels like it didn't even have a script. Like you just let these guys go. Right. Yeah. Well, and I was reading some stuff as well. And that's certainly what it seemed like where it was sort of that Christopher guest school of, uh, of, of comedy where you've got the broad outline in this scene, you need to accomplish these things go and then improvise along the way. And they would cut and paste and take what they wanted and didn't want. And I read a lot of stuff about how on certain scenes they, the, the performers were like, so funny with their that what they were saying was so unexpected that even the performers laughed and it would ruin the take and then they're like okay let's do it again and then the performers would often change the jokes because they didn't want you to know what was coming next and and again i think that speaks to the talent of some of these performers is that they can do that like i think i read one of them and they said danny mcbride had to do a scene like 25 times and every time he did it he changed the joke and for 24 times in a row everybody cracked up because they it was just whatever he said next was more outrageous than what he had said the time before so, uh, you know, that and again, I'm not a comedian, I'm not a performer, but I know people who have tried their hand at it and I can I can, you know, from what I've heard, it's exceptionally difficult to do that. So it, it really speaks to their talent. Well, you, you know, I used to do a lot of improv back in the day, both at Second City in Toronto and then I had my own improv show. And we always had two rules in improv, or at least I did. There was one rule everybody had and then there was one rule that I had. 
So one one rule that everybody has in improv is always say yes. Mm-hmm. Always agree. So if somebody says hi, you know, you start a scene, you're like, oh, hello, officer. You're like, yep, I'm, I'm a police officer. You just you go with it. Yep. So that's the number one rule. But the, the other rule that I used to always like was if somebody's going to say something or take something somewhere, I used to try and push them to give me more. Like I would ask some questions about like, well, what is that? Like, you know, and I loved it because the scene where Jonah Hill is talking about adopting the spaniel dog, you could, mm-hmm. you could totally tell that they're doing that. And yeah. it just cracked yeah. me up because Seth Rogen's like, oh, what's the dog's name? <laughs> he forces Jonah Hill to come up with something. So Jonah Hill is like, Ajay. And right away, he doesn't even miss a beat. Rogan's like, how do you spell that? <laughs> and Jordan Hill's like, A-H-J-H-A-Y. <laughs> it's so funny. So I'm like, that's what I used to do. Like, So I thought that was pretty funny. And and like we mentioned too, they, they kind of play these caricatures of themselves. But, except Michael Sarah, <laughs> Because he totally plays against type. Because in real life, he's got this quiet shy demeanor and here he's like this coked out (laughs) he has some of the funniest parts of this movie so two that stand out to me i just got to mention jay bearshell goes into the bathroom oh my god that's the funniest scene michael sarah's in there with two girls one's and the other one's i'm like he's living the dream man he's living the dream and then maybe the funniest part of the whole movie when the apocalypse starts and the earth open opens up and there's like all this like fire and brimstone everywhere. All Michael Sarah cares about, where's my cell phone? Where did it go? Where who took my cell phone? Where is it? And then he gets impaled on this pole and he gets lifted up into the air. And he's got this pole coming through his chest. He's covered in blood. He's dying. And his cell phone rings. And it's it's been in his pocket the whole time. And he's like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's impaled on this pole, bleeding in front of everybody. I, I thought he was hilarious in this movie. Like, yes, he was good. quite good. Oh my god! And then, and then Jay and Seth go to the store, and the rapture starts with the the people being sucked up in the blue light. Yeah. So they go back to Franco's house, and they're like telling everybody, and and Franco's like, nobody got sucked up here, and Michael Sarah's like, I got. So funny. Oh my god, Michael Sarah was in the best parts of this movie, I think. So Yeah. The the whole premise of the movie really is basically that Jay Baruchel doesn't like Los Angeles. Right? He he doesn't like what fame and Hollywood has done to to his Canadian friend, Seth Rogen, yep. right? So he thinks yep. Hollywood is bad. And it is bad. Like he's right because he goes there like everything goes to hell right and, and and the thing is his friend betrays him because they go to Franco's house like I said and then they're they're te- and he's telling about this all these blue lights and Seth's like I don't know what he's talking about he basically leaves Jay Baruchel hanging out there you know he he chooses Hollywood over his Canadian friend so well and even says he goes you know uh, we'll go but you can't ditch me and then he calls him on it later he's like we were here yeah. five minutes and you ditched me love all the pop culture references in this movie too there's so many of them so like they're all talking about the movies that they've been in mm-hmm. and the movie props that they're pulling out like oh i had this gun in this movie and stuff they mention um t2 judgment day at one time there's obviously the backstreet boys which i'm sure we'll get to scarface the exorcist and then I like when um, uh, Danny McBride comes down and makes food for breakfast and they're all yelling at him because he's using up the only food they got. And then he's like, he's talking about James Franco and he goes, I'm sure the Green Goblin can afford some more bacon. Yeah, <laughs> that made me laugh. That wasn't even yeah. his part. So I thought it was good. And um, Emma Watson, we should mention as well. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great. Originally, yeah. you know who they wanted to play that part? I, I read this. It was, um, was it Mila Kunis? I it think? was, because she yeah. was kind of in like with their group in real life, right? But that, but she wasn't available to shoot the movie, so they got Emma Watson. I love the fact that she's in this movie because, I mean, like, you know, she's in Harry Potter, but then she went back to university and got a degree and stuff, right? So you think of her more, more being like sort of high class 
and then mm-hmm. she's in this movie with all this stuff going on. Although I did read that um, she she actually left the set at one point. the The scene with um, Channing Tatum when they were mm-hmm. doing the cannibalism and stuff, she walked off the set. She's wow. like, she's like, yeah, I, I can't do this, guys. Like this is crazy. And 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 like that scene when, um, you know, she thinks they're gonna sexually assault her. And yeah. Jay Barrisol is all freaking out. He's like, I never said that. I never said like, I just I thought that was was interesting. And uh, in that scene too, I like it. He's like, uh, he goes, I I think we should address the elephant in the room. And Seth Rogen's like, don't talk about Craig like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, and like uh, Jay, he's just talking about how uncomfortable she's gonna be, being the only female in the house with all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he, you know, he's just trying to find a way to make her feel more comfortable. And then Danny McBride goes and just like sort of twists it all around. But, but speaking of Danny McBride, so the scene with him and James Franco, where they're arguing about the penthouse magazine. Yes. That's the one I remember when I went to see the movie in the theater with my wife that I laughed at the most. Like I was just laughing like crazy because it's just these two guys riffing and improvising and you can tell they're just totally trying to outdo each other yeah. the whole time. I'm assuming that was the the scene you were talking to, referring to earlier about like the 25 takes and stuff and going crazy. It must have been. I, again, yeah. I, the thing I read didn't say specifically which which scene, but that wouldn't surprise me if that was the one. I like how Jonah Hill acts like he's all nice to Jay Baruchel mm-hmm. too, but he really hates him. <laughs> and, he, and of course, he goes to bed at night and he's like praying to God. He's like, God. It's me, Jonah Hill from Moneyball. <laughs> He's got to put that in there. Because like, it's that whole Hollywood thing. I thought that was pretty funny. But he's like, please kill Jay Baruchel. <laughs> and then, of course, he gets raped by a demon, right? You know? And then, um, and then I, like, later when Jonah Hill's, like, possessed and Jay Baruchel hits him in the head with the baseball bat, it's like, it's like retribution for Baruchel yeah. when he does that. It was so cool. Um, so, uh, uh, Craig sacrifices himself. He gets to go to heaven. So that I thought was a pretty cool part of the movie because then you start to realize this is maybe about redemption. These guys yeah. actually can be redeemed if they yeah. actually do something decent, you know? And of course they try and take the easy way out because they just try to say like a few nice shallow things about each other and they're like hoping it works and it doesn't work. You know, of course, because <laughs> that's the Hollywood way, right? Yep. And Channing Tatum in that scene, the, the one that I was mentioning with uh, where, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Emma walked off the set. Yeah. Totally plays against type here, Channing Tatum does, because he was like the biggest hunk when this movie came out, right? Well, they even said he had been in the G.I. Joe movie. They go, oh, I got G.I. Joe here or something. They make a reference to it. He was in Magic Mike. Wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, he was yeah. all, like all ripped and like women all think he's like this sex symbol. So, of course... He's Danny McBride's gimp. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think, and I, I love that scene because Franco lets Jay and Seth escape. Well, he stays to fight the cannibals. So he redeems himself too. And the blue light comes to get him and starts sucking him up to heaven. <laughs> and while he's going up to heaven, he just looks at Danny McBride. He flips him off and he's like. <laughs> and that causes the blue light to stop. Because he's not redeemed now. Because he blew it. <laughs> and it disappears. And he just gets eaten by all the cannibals. <laughs> Which I thought... Again, it made me realize, too, it's like such a dark comedy. It was almost like a a horror comedy mix, you know? Which you don't see a lot of, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in my mind, I, I always just remember it as a comedy. The post-apocalyptic part and the sort of the, the scary parts like that. That, I didn't really remember that very well. Uh, I did remember that, that um, Jonah Hill got raped by the demon, but other than that, I didn't really remember. One thing I did notice, though, is this in this viewing that I did not remember from the previous viewing is that the demon is anatomically correct and they don't shy away from that. And I was like, no, wow, yeah. OK, that I wasn't expecting to see that, but uh, I forgot. But there was a that lot was... of phallic symbols around. Oh, yeah. Franco's house and the whole thing. Right. And yeah. the whole talk about like the and all that stuff like it was just like it was just crazy i also they talk about the redemption i liked when uh jay gets to go to heaven and he grabs seth's hand mm-hmm. to try and pull him up to heaven but 
But Seth isn't redeemed yet, right? So he doesn't get to go. He's like dragging him down. So Seth lets go to let like to save Jay. And that yeah. redeems him, right? Yeah. So they both get to go to the pearly gates. Craig Robinson's there. And the first thing he says is, Welcome to heaven. What? He's like, you can't say that in heaven. Like, what's going on? So you get to have anything that you want. They're like, anything you can think of, you can have. Seth Rogen gets a segue, (laughs) which I thought was funny. And then, of course, Gia Baruchel is kind of like a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man kind of moment. Because it's like, whatever he thinks of, like, it's going to appear. And, of course, it's the Backstreet Boys. And they do this big, huge musical dance number to everybody. You know, Backstreet's back. Which is a throwback to the beginning of the movie when there he and um, yes. Seth are just playing video games again. That montage, because I knew, yeah, because I knew how it was going to end when I was watching it from the beginning. This time, there were details that I was able to pick up on and sort of go, "Oh, this is sort of like foreshadowing what's going to come later." Uh, obviously, the first time through, you have no idea, but once you know where it's going, I was able to pick up on some of those kinds of things this time through, um, and uh, and to me that that. I like I enjoyed it more knowing that, oh, like this isn't just this random goofball thing. It's like there's been some thought put into it, like these beats at the beginning foretell what's coming later. It's you know, it just improves the storytelling. So one thing, Derek, you know, you always tell me about these newer movies. You're like, stick around after the credits, you know, because there's always like Easter eggs at the end. So Mm -hmm. I stayed through the credits of this movie, but there was nothing. Yeah, no, I was I, for some reason, I thought there was a little something after as well. So I I watched right through to the end of this time. Uh, but no, no dice. It's too bad, too, because I thought it would have been perfect after the final credits. If they maybe would have shown what happened to some of the people that went to hell. Or that were just stuck on Earth, like which yeah. you could argue that's that's the, you know, the equivalent of hell when all the good people are gone. I guess I, I thought there would have been like that flip side of the coin. So mm-hmm. uh, any mm-hmm. final thoughts on this is the end. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. It made me laugh. I thought the special effects were great. It was yeah, original, I, uh, you know, it was all those things. It, it had the kind of the, the insider Hollywood thing going on. So for all those reasons, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you liked it a lot more than I did. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I, I remembered the first, like I said, at the top of the show, I remember when I saw it the first time, I thought it was okay. Uh, I, I would probably, I probably feel a little str- more strongly about it now than I did then. In part, like I said, because I was able to get uh, a little more out of the cameos as I was seeing the performers mm-hmm. and I, I knew who more of them were. And seeing, and now that, with the internet, you 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 see and hear so much about these performers. You you if you follow them on social media or you you follow the news stories about them. So one of the things that I I really enjoyed about this movie is the fact that they they are playing themselves, but they're playing like versions of themselves. And and one of the things that I was able to to read about a little bit is a lot of the times in scenes where the characters are fighting, it was like these were real things that they actually felt about each other. And this was their chance to sort of get it off their chest in a way that they could use it as a part of their performance. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And and so some of the stuff obviously was way over the top. But by going over the top, I think it accentuates in some cases like some of the characteristics and some of the, the issues that these these people have. And so that to me, I, I really enjoyed. I think I got more out of it this time through having a better understanding of sort of who the main characters actually are in real life or who they were at the time and maybe what they've done since then. Um, and I think I think it holds up pretty well. I think the 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 general theme, the general message, the idea of, you know, um, that the that Hollywood actors are shallow and they're terrible people, but they can be redeemed under the right circumstances. Like, I think that's a theme that that is going to hold up for a long time. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So, I think this is one of those movies that will continue to age better and better as more time passes, as more people get a chance to see it and revisit it. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I would probably give it like a six and a half or a seven, maybe a seven. Um, what about you? What would you give it? A I would give it a seven and a half. And as, yeah. and especially because, like I said, it, it's a comedy and comedy is a dying art form. So, yeah. you know, to be so able to pull off pretty a comedy. Close. Yeah. We're pretty close on that. Yeah. yeah. But I, I thought I obviously enjoyed it a lot more than you. And I, I laughed quite a bit the first time. I, I definitely laughed did. Yeah. Quite a bit this time as yeah. well. So, okay. On that note, what do you say we have some? Fun with Caveman. I suggested this movie, so things are over to you, my friend. What have you got for me? All right, so um, 
this will be a little bit of a riff on one of our normal things. So okay. in this movie, th the whole gimmick was that the actors played themselves. Mm -hmm. This happens more often than you think, where actors appear in movies as themselves or as versions of themselves. So I'm going to give you a bunch of questions uh, uh, about movies where actors appear playing themselves. In some cases, they have huge roles. In some cases, they're just like small cameo scenes that are memorable, but maybe no, don't take very long on screen. So I'm going to give you the synopsis of the movie and the year it came out. I want you to do two things for me. I want you okay. to name the movie and I want you to name the actor that appears as themselves. Okay. And in the, I've, I've adjusted the synopsis of these movies to sort of indicate which actor I'm looking for. Cause in some cases there's more than one or maybe okay. it isn't clear what I'm going for. Um, and if, if it's still not clear, I can give you some additional hints. So, uh, I will, I will preface this by saying most of these movies are from the last 20 years. So you may not get as many as, as you might normally get, but some of them are super duper obvious. So, and I, and I threw you a couple of, of easy ones right at the end, just in case you're not doing so well. All right. So, uh, we'll start with the first one and, and get, let me read all the way through because in some cases I had to I couldn't really um, uh, add the, the person I was looking for until you understood what the movie was. So give me a chance to read the whole thing before you jump in. OK, the first one. A shy student trying to reach his family in Ohio, a gun toting bruiser in search of the last Twinkie and a pair of sisters striving to get to an amusement park all joined forces in a trek across a zombie filled America. While crashing at this actor's home, they accidentally kill him. Can you name the movie and the performer? Well, it, I think it sounds like that Zombieland movie. Yep. Zombieland. So I'm, I'm, I didn't see it, so I'm going to take a guess. Wasn't it Woody Harrelson? It was not. He was one of the performers in the movie. Was it, was, it, was it one of my like favorite actors from the it 80s? Was. Uh, it totally Bill was. Murray? It was yeah. Bill Murray. Oh, yes. There you go. Okay. Again, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. So okay, okay. I, and I wasn't sure. Okay, this one's a little tougher. This is from 1994. Okay, a demonic force has chosen this on-screen horror villain as its portal to the real world and tries to enter the real world through the actor who has played him in the previous six installments of this horror franchise. Oh, I saw a horror movie, but I'm thinking that sounds like. Being John Malkovich. It is not. Hmm. Want to try again? From 94 horror movie. I don't know. It was Wes Craven's New Nightmare from the Nightmare oh, on Elm Street oh franchise. God. And the actor playing himself is Robert England, who played oh, Freddy Krueger. Right, right, right. Yeah. The whole the whole shtick on this one was it was the performers that were in the movies were actually being were being uh, terrorized by the real Freddy Krueger in real life. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, next, this actor was one of the judges when a group of misfits enters a Las Vegas athletic tournament to save their cherished local gym from 2004. 2004. I don't know. It was Dodgeball, a oh. true underdog story. And the actor we were looking for is Chuck Norris is one of the judges oh. of the final dodgeball competition oh, at the there end. There you go. All right. If you haven't seen that one, we may have to revisit. We may have to do it on the show. It's pretty good. You were talking about comedies. That mm -hmm. one's pretty funny. All right. Uh, this actor and musician volunteers to judge the walk off in this film about male model assassins. It sounds like no, I haven't seen it. What year is the movie? From? 2001. It sounds like Zoolander. It is Zoolander. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I don't. I feel like, uh, no, I don't know. It was David Bowie. Oh, okay. I tried to stay away from musicians and athletes for this, but David Bowie um, has done a fair bit of acting himself, so I figured that was a, that was a little cheat that we'll throw in. Right. All right. This one I think you'll get. Let me re get through the whole thing. Okay. From 2004, when a Korean-American office worker and his Indian American stoner friend embark on a quest to satisfy satisfy their desire for food. They pick up this actor who's hitchhiking. So that was Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yep. And it was Neil Patrick Harris. 
Yes, it was. I know because I saw that movie in the theater. I knew you had. Out. Yeah. All right. Here's an easy one for you. Okay. From from 1999, a puppeteer discovers a portal that leads literally into the head of this movie star. That was uh, being John Malkovich. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, when you said that earlier, I'm like, oh, well, he's going to have that one coming up. Okay, this one a little tougher. When two stoners find out that the comic book that is about them is being turned into a movie, they set out to wreck the movie. This actor plays the villain in the big screen adaptation of the comic book series. Oh, God, I don't know. So it's from 2001. This was Jay and Silent Bob Straight Back, the Kevin oh. Smith movie. I've seen and, Clerks, but I haven't seen anything else. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you'd seen this. And the actor in question is Mark Hamill. And that's mm. part of the running gag in the movie is that Luke Skywalker plays the villain in the Blunt Man and Chronic, Chronic movie. All right. Big coup for uh, for him to get uh, Mark Hamill in that movie. Well, this was in 2001 before they had done the new Star Wars mm -hmm. movie. So Mark Hamill was, you know, I don't want to say struggling, but he wasn't an A-list actor by right. any stretch of the imagination. Right. So he was willing to cash in and, and make fun of himself. So, all right. Uh, in this heist sequel, one of the crew pretends to be Julia Roberts as part of a con, only to run into this actor, one of Julia Roberts' real-life friends. I don't know. Do you know the movie? Nope. It was Ocean's 12 from 2004. Oh, so I've seen Ocean's 11, but I didn't okay. watch any of the one of the sequels. Well, that's why this one's the high sequel. Yeah. And the, the, the actor in question is Bruce Willis. Oh, okay. This one, this one's a bit of a long shot. 2008. This okay. actor gets involved in a bank robbery with host with a hostage situation and reflects about his life during it. No idea. So I haven't seen this one either, but I've heard it's amazing. The movie is JCVD and the actor is John Claude Van Damme. Oh. And it's, it's him playing himself during this bank. Heist. And it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be outstandingly good. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Brand new one from last year, 2022. It's available on the streamers right now. Again, another one getting good reviews. This movie star is channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a super fan and a CIA agent. I don't know. This one's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and it's Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. Again, haven't seen it, but been hearing great things about it. Okay, got a couple of nice, easy ones here for you coming into the, the stretch. This nice. one we did on our podcast. You should get this. A man's childhood wish brought his teddy bear to life. The two of them meet their big screen idol at a party during this film. Oh, that was um, the one you had me watch, Ted. And yep. they, they, they met um, Sam Jones. Yes, yes. yes. From Flash go. Gordon. Yes, I yes. remember that. All right. This one, right in your wheelhouse, 1980. Okay. Let me finish reading the whole question. Please. After the crew becomes sick with food poisoning, a neurotic ex-fighter pilot must land a commercial airplane full of passengers safely. The actor we're looking for was one of the original pilots on the plane. Okay, so it's airplane. And the actor you're looking for was not an actor. He was an, actually an athlete. And it I was know. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. Playing uh, Murdoch. Yep. All right. And then a bonus question. Okay. In Robert Altman's 1992 film, The Player, how many actors mm. made cameos as themselves? I'll give you a oh, range. God. You need to be within 10. I will say 24. You are way off. I'll give you a second guess. I will say 41. You are still way off. The answer is 62. Oh, my God. 62 Holy actors geez. played themselves oh, in crazy. this movie. Oh, my yep. God. So I've never is, seen the player, so I couldn't. Oh, it was really good, too. Yeah. So that was a whole slew of movies where performers appeared as themselves or as, you know, characterized versions of themselves in uh, big movies. Good topic. Some, yeah. yeah, no, I, I didn't think I would be able to find that many. But when I started doing a little homework, Lots I them, found apparently, yeah. and, there, and there was a lot of movies that I just I wasn't familiar with. And I was like, wow, OK, that person's in that. Good to know if I ever watched that movie. So 
There you go. All right. So, uh, so I guess we can wrap things up on that note. Next time, what do you say we come back? We'll just do a topic. We'll figure I love something it. out. And, I love you it. Know, we'll come back and, and cover that. So um, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World and join us again next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 